You're listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. Today's episode features a conversation on proposed changes to the public safety surcharge, NextGen 911, and how the pandemic has impacted emergency services throughout the state. We're joined today by Wes Jones, Vice President of the New York State Emergency Management Association, Emergency Manager in the City of Norwich, and 911 Director in Shenango County. Wes, thanks so much for being here this morning. Good morning, Kate. So Wes, could you start with a quick introduction for NYSEMA, the Emergency Management Association? Uh, Who are some of your members and what role does the association play in the state? So so NYSEMA represents the emergency managers throughout New York State. They include our active members, which are municipal and county emergency managers. Uh, but as emergency management has grown over the years, we also have a large membership of people who come from the private sector, whether it be utilities, uh, colleges, things like that. So we have a good mix of both uh, public and private sector emergency managers. And, uh, you know, they're obviously responsible for the response and recovery planning for emergencies in New York State. Great. Now, last week, uh, your association in NYSEC sent a letter to legislative leaders asking for changes to the public safety surcharge. Could you first explain what the public safety surcharge is and what it funds? Yes. So on every wireless bill, so if you have a cell phone, there is a surcharge on that phone. that is designated as public safety. It's commonly referred to as a 911 surcharge, uh, but that funding is uh, collected by New York State. A large majority of it is kept by New York State and put into their general fund, but some of it goes back to the counties to fund public safety uh, operations and projects. Why are you asking state leaders to reconsider or change this funding mechanism? It's a variety of reasons. First off, uh, the FCC has identified New York State as one of five remaining states who they consider to raid 911 funds. Uh, Those funds in the eyes of the FCC are supposed to be uh, dedicated to 911 operations and only that. And unfortunately, for years uh, since the state began collecting this, instead of the funds going directly to the counties, the state allocates those funds, takes about 40%, puts it in the general fund, applies others to state agencies uh, for operations that actually don't involve public safety, and then makes the counties compete for the remaining funds. And what are some of the impacts that you feel from these funds in Shenango County? So right now the the funding goes to two main things, 911 operations and uh, emergency communications, which would be uh, radio towers for first, you know, radio projects for first responders to 
to build that infrastructure to uh, develop interoperable communications and things like that. So could you give a brief overview of what PSAP and SIG grants are and how they help county operations? Yes. So the state on average collects from this surcharge between, it varies by year and it's gone up and down, but between about 185 and $200 million. The state has allocated of that $10 million towards PSAP, which is public safety answering points, basically your 911 centers uh, for operations funding each year. And then the remaining uh, funds that are allocated to the counties, usually in the neighborhood of 60 to 75 million go toward the, the interoperable communications grants uh, to fund radio projects. And unfortunately, the problem is, is that those funds are just not enough to do what's needed to, you know, develop 911 centers and emergency communication centers to be, you know, as effective as they need to be. And so in our county, for instance, out of the 10 million for uh, PSAP operations or 911 centers, we get a, somewhere between 170 to $180,000 each year. But then the state on top of that then puts a lot of restrictions on those, on those funds. Obviously they should be used for PSAP operations. We have no argument with that. However, the state puts a lot of restrictions in terms of, of how the money can be spent, how it has to be, uh, you know, purchasing requirements and things like that. And again, makes them into competitive grants that require, a, you know, pit counties against each other, which is just unfortunate. Wes, in addition to seeking more timely reimbursement, some in the legislature have also floated the idea of trying to fix the various 911 surcharge rates across wireless, landline, prepaid, and postpaid devices. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely, because the problem is, is that there are several funding sources. We have landline phones, your your traditional, you know, phone on your desk, phone on the wall type uh and there's a, a certain surcharge on those. Those vary by counties because some counties have a home rule legislation that allows them to uh, impose their own fee on top of, of the standard. So there's, there's that. There is the $1.20 on wireless. And then most recently, there was funding for uh, what are called the non-contract phones. So if you have a cell phone that is with a carrier that you, you know, purchase with a card or, you know, is kind of a month by month type thing, you're not in a contract. Uh, those are, that's a separate fee. And, you know, it's good that we're finally getting that money because that's a big uh, block of cell phone service now. Uh, but none of those things match up and it would be a whole lot easier if basically the funds, the, the fees were all the same and they were funneled directly to the counties to use as, you know, appropriate for those specific funding needs. So the, uh, the landline surcharges come directly to the county. 
the non-contract cell phones go to the state who then turns around and gives it to uh, the counties and your wireless are collected by the state and then distributed in grants. So it's just uh, completely different based on you know which type of device it is. And again, it'd just be easier if it was the same across the board. And it would be a lot easier if it was just a pass through from the from either directly from the carrier to the counties or if the state collected it, that it was passed through to the counties. Right. Some streamlining would make the whole process more efficient. Absolutely. We'll be right back to the discussion after this brief message from our sponsor. Build trust budget, and take action based on community input using ZenCity. Their cross-channel platform takes civic engagement to the next level by automatically transforming online resident feedback into actionable insights using AI and expert analysis. So you've touched on this a bit, but um, what are some reasons why the legislature should appropriate additional resources to the SIG and PSAP grant programs? And is there a way that NextGen uh, 911 efforts fit into those grant programs? Yes, absolutely. So you have kind of two issues. After uh, 9-11, there was a lot of discussion about interoperable communications and, you know, a lot of failures, you know, that happened because different agencies couldn't talk to each other and, and things like that. And so there was an effort underway to develop a statewide interoperable radio network. Unfortunately, it was kind of a boondoggle and it ended up getting uh, scrapped by the state. And instead they went to kind of a regional approach where counties were encouraged to work with their their neighbors and to develop regional communication systems. Overall, that's worked pretty well and in the counties, you know, work well at a, at a local level. Uh, but it's, you know, this year will be the 20th anniversary of, of 9-11 and we're still trying to get to that, you know, place where we're, where we're able to do full interoperability with all of our neighbors. And so obviously if, you know, the state was not taking these funds and putting it in the general fund, we would be able to, you know, expedite these projects and, and get them done and, you know, have true interoperability throughout the state. The second piece of it deals with the 911 centers. You mentioned next generation 911. What that is, is the 911 system in this country is actually completely outdated. It's based on 1970s technology of copper wire landline phones. Next generation 911 deals with replacing that copper infrastructure uh, that cannot support you know, data coming across it or significant amounts of data coming across it and replacing it with an IP-based network fiber and things like that, which can basically do, you know, tons of data and provide a lot of information to our our 911 dispatchers when they take calls and, and things like that. 
And again, right now, only $10 million per year is being allocated to all of the counties in New York State for 911 operations. That does not go very far. Like I said, for our county, it's, it's around $175,000 a year. These projects are expensive. Just, even just laying fiber to connect, you know, all of our counties together and things like that are going to cost a significant amount of money. And there's just no way to do it with, without uh, having an increase in this funding. And, and it's not, you know, it's not just us with a, you know, our handout saying, you know, please give us more money. It's saying, please take this money that was intended for 911 and, and public safety purposes and allow us to use it for that, for those projects. And we would be a lot further ahead. Unfortunately, right now, New York is way behind in terms of, of next generation 911. It's still developing a plan. There's no funding mechanism in place. Once that plan is developed, there's other states, uh, for instance, North Carolina and others who are, are well ahead and actually already have the fiber laid. Uh, in North Carolina, they have about two thirds of their PSAPs or 911 centers connected to this IP-based network that's called an EZNet. So they're already fully engaged in, uh, you know, in having next-gen 911 while New York's still in, right now in the, in the planning stages. What would the impact be in Shenango County with this kind of technology? So one of the biggest aspects of this is relates to um, the data that that can go, you know, can be received by a 911 center. And like I said, there, you know, very limited um, information can go across copper phone lines. Basically, we can get a name, address, and phone number of the of the caller. That's that's about it. With an IP based network you know, or next gen 911, that's fairly limitless. And it's going to do a lot of things. A lot of it has to do with, you know, being able to precisely locate callers where they are, right? Landline phones are, are quite easy. There, there's an address assigned to them, but wireless calls are very difficult. And the technology is still evolving as to, you know, how you identify the location of people who dial on a cell phone. Unfortunately, one of the things we always talk about is, you know, Pizza Hut can identify and deliver a pizza to you within, you know, feet of where you are because they're getting your location from a, directly from the phone when you place that order. Unfortunately, 911 in general does not have that direct technology. Now there's companies out there uh, such as Rapid SOS that are doing some remarkable things and and have worked with the uh, carriers Google and Apple to you know open up that technology. It's still not 100%. Not every phone, not every device has that capability. So that's one of the things. But also, you know, once you open up data, you can then you know callers can send medical history that they wish they can send you know exactly where 
if they live in an apartment building, you can identify apartments and where they are. And, you know, you go to a, a stadium that has one address, but we need to drill, you know, can't have people wandering out, around looking for somebody in need. So you drill down exactly where they are, say in that stadium or arena. And so all of these things are capabilities that we, you know, eventually will have with next gen 911, but it's just taking too long. It's taking and, too long and it all hinges on that funding. It absolutely does. I mean, obviously these things are going to cost a tremendous amount of money and laying the infrastructure first is, is the biggest piece of that. And, you know, the, the state had the funds for years and years to do this and unfortunately has, has diverted a lot of these funds into the, into their general fund and have not gone towards public safety purposes. Now, I just want to circle back uh, just for a moment. So you had mentioned how 9-11 really changed the way that, you know, emergency management services operated in not only our state, but in our country. And we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of that in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, do you think that the pandemic has changed the way that you operate as much? Oh, absolutely. Uh prior to the pandemic, a lot of things, we all have what are called emergency operation centers, which is basically a coordination center for emergencies and disasters. And just like the general public who couldn't go to work and they're operating out of their homes, it was not possible to pack an emergency operation center with a bunch of people. And so we had to you know, work on the fly and, and, you know, essentially go virtual like the rest of the world in terms of the way we operated and, and, you know, assisted in, you know, helping respond to the pandemic. And you're the folks who you stand up emergency operation centers in every county. Um, what are some of the challenges that your members and your community have faced in that process? So, you know, it's been, a lot of it has been, you know, obtaining resources. We all know about the lack of PPE, particularly when this uh, crisis started. You know, we were fighting with everybody else, trying to, you know, purchase PPE wherever we could, trying to get uh, the state or FEMA to get us what, you know, they had. And, and you know, then, from that point with the limited supply, find the greatest needs in, in our counties and get them out to uh, those areas. And in particular, it was to hospitals, nursing homes, and, and things like that, obviously, where, the, where they were the most vulnerable and, and needed those, that equipment. Wes, is there anything else that you would like to add as we're wrapping up our conversation? Just in summary, I, I think we touched on all of the highlights, but, you know, we would like all of the funds that are collected to be used as for their intended purpose. And instead of being diverted for non-public safety purposes, that those funds, you know, 
be collected and used directly for public safety and 911 operations. And it would be, you know, a whole lot easier if all of the funding mechanisms were made the same, you know, either they were passed through the state or they were paid directly out to, you know, received directly by the counties to fund these operations. And again, you know, they should have the restrictions so that they're being used properly and audited and all of those things. We have no problems with that whatsoever. But, you know, pitting counties against each other or making them compete for these funds, just, it's just not right. And we hope to, to see some significant changes to make this right and to, you know, fund public safety in New York state, which we know is, is important as New York is very, very vulnerable and, you know, in a wide variety of, of disasters. And it would certainly go a long way towards being better prepared. Just out of note to end with, uh, are, are there any resources or information that you would like to point our listeners to or um, that highlight some of these issues? Uh, so I believe that NISAC has a page for uh, the future of 911 that was developed a few years ago when we began talking about next gen 911 and the need for the state to you know, begin saving money towards, you know, towards this project. Uh, you will also uh, find some things on the state uh, DHSCS website, Department of Homeland Security Emergency Services. They have a, a division called the Office of Interoperable Communications. Those folks are, are doing great work. They are trying to assist us in every way possible to you know, maximize the money that we are getting and to, you know, coordinate to make sure that we're, we're doing really, uh, you know, the right things and, and connecting systems and, and all of that. So they do great work and they have a lot of resources on, on their website. And there's also the New York State Interoperable and Emergency Communications Board, which is underneath that, in which we discuss a lot of these issues on a, at our meetings. And then there's reports in there, annual reports that all have uh, lots of information in regard to the status of some of these projects and such. Fantastic. Well, thank you Wes, so much for taking the time to be on the podcast and to talk with our members. Thank you very much, Kate. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of NYSAC's County Conversations podcast. Keep tuning in to hear more insightful interviews on policy and innovative solutions at the county level. And feel free to reach out to our staff if there is a topic you would like to hear us discuss on the podcast.